What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and special guest today, Lillian Olson, founder of the Oslo-based design agency, Halligan. Thank you very much, Lillian, for being here with me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's dive straight in by, if you can, explaining a little bit about Halligan, um, how it's evolving amid these volatile times, and maybe share a bit about Halligan's reason for being, its passion and its purpose. Yeah, um, Halogen is a human and life-centered design agency. Uh, we are designing for impact and try to focus on solving societal problems. We've tried to strengthen the human position in the world and try to make the world greener and also safer. Uh, we were established in the middle of the dot-com era and started out as a more typical digital agency in the year 2000. Uh, in the beginning, we were designing and focusing on user-friendly digital solutions and, uh, yeah, frankly, more websites. Uh, but we started out working mostly for large companies and public sector, which is the same as we do today. But for all these years, we have we are focused on human-centered design. We try to strengthen the human position in the meeting with technology. But, you know, digitalization can't happen on the expense of the human's role. So this is also an ethical matter. So how can we use technology and digitalization for, for the best of human life? That has been our focus all since the beginning. So since uh, there's quite a lot of hype these days around net zero and circularity and so forth, and especially since COP26, just over the last few months, a lot of the work that you do in Halogen is quite special in solving systemic challenges, challenges where we need to bring diverse actors across diverse ecosystems. Can you speak to anything in particular around your approach to net zero, um, to climate emergency and to systemic challenges? I think that uh, in the beginning we were focusing on creating good products and services for users or, uh, or people. But as we evolved, we also started to take interest in understanding more of the people's surroundings, the citizens' surroundings. How does the society works? What systems failures prevent people from living a better life, if you want? And you could say that uh, we naturally expanded our philosophy from being human-centered to life-centered. And as we all know, we are living in a very critical time when it comes to designing a sustainable future, both for people and the planet. So I think that uh, our history has shown uh, that if we want to create uh, good products and services for, for people, we actually need to be concerned about both the society and the ecology in the world. Yeah, that's interesting. So this shift from human-centric to life-centric, it also speaks to you know the systemic challenges we're facing and having to be aware of how things are interconnected. That really speaks to a shift in thinking 
a shift in perspective from a you know a, a quite a reductive narrow perspective when we look at the design of a product or a service in isolation to a more systemic uh, way of thinking where we start looking at the bigger systems now i know you know for instance you use some quite powerful tools like giga mapping and so forth could you speak a little bit to that shift in thinking of how halogen as a design agency has helped its designers open its view their perspective to include more diverse aspects of society and the environment yeah um i i think that when we started to work with uh service design in uh, public sector projects and uh, on bigger, you know, city development projects, stuff like that. Uh, we uh, needed to tackle uh, more complexity. And the way designers tackle complexities is uh, partly on using these tools, as you mentioned, the systems-oriented design tools, which is really, you know, familiar to system thinking. And it's it's about having the ability to uh, take in complexity and being able to, you know, structure it and visualize it and use it as part of your, you know, pr process. So it's become very powerful for us to being able to grasp the complexity around us, being able to make a visualization about it and then being able to have a conversation about it. So, but, but when we started to do that, uh, and we have been so fortunate in this country that we are, we are having a quite, you know, wealthy, uh, government and uh, I think around 10 years ago the government started to fund uh, complex problem solving projects in the public sector by using design so we have uh, been quite active in that role and that has led to you know an extensive you know practice in in using design in this space and now I could say that we have we, we get contacts from the whole world uh, from designers and academia who wants to to know and get to know how, how are we actually doing this in Norway. And this yeah. is uh, thanks to the, the Norwegian government who has understood the power of of uh, using design in, in these uh, problem-solving cases. Mm. And it is thanks to the Norwegian government that helped um, fund some of the activities that we got going around the systemic innovation playbook around innovation across multi-sectors. Now, if we look slightly broader than Norway, because, um, of course, these challenges are pervasive across the world. I know recently you had a lovely trip out to Turino, or Turin, as we call it in the UK, in, in northern Italy. Now, Turino is quite interesting in its exploration of the shift towards regeneration, urban renewal in many ways, because um, it's had quite an interesting history, um, was um, heavy into manufacturing and so forth, and now it's having to renew in a quite significant way. Um, could you speak a little bit about what you found when you were out there on your journey and how that then relates to uh, systemic innovation? Yeah, um, yeah. We, we wanted to go to Torino because we know that they have uh, been through an, an interesting journey last year when it comes to, you know, focusing on how, how to, if you want, rebuild uh, what was uh, after the, the car industry left uh, the city. And I have to say, I was uh, totally impressed of, uh, of the level they, they actually are able to use design and all kinds of design, both, you know, gra gra graphical design, visual design in order to, you know, improve uh, people's life, uh, as well as uh, urban development and regenerative thinking to a very mature uh, level. And I think that's important because uh, 
since we started out, uh, I think 10 years ago, when we, we started to focus on working on sustainable projects, the projects weren't there, uh, but not today they are there. Not today uh, companies want to, to become, you know, uh, more greener if you want, but still uh, to, to focus on regenerative, it's still uh, the fact that the companies are not, you know, mature enough to, to being able to order a regenerative project. Uh, and that le leads to the fact that I think that designers as ourselves, we, we need to take uh, the responsibility to actually make, try to develop every project, try to expand the way we do the projects. Because I think we have the power and I think we need to, to use that even more and be more normative if you want. We learned in, in Torino is that uh, there is a great opportunity for collaboration between our uh, agency and, and uh, some of the uh, different, uh, you know, ac academic uh, forces down there. So we're going to bring the whole company there in September and we're going to have a lot of, you know, co-creation activities uh, when we're there. Yeah. I like this idea of normative, you know, each of us, whether we're coaches, advisors, um, system designers, consultants, all of us have this sort of duty now to help step into the future we wish to create. And you're right, at the moment, a lot of the processes that companies still engage with, um, invitation to tender processes, um, public, private uh, sector partnerships are quite heavy duty. They're quite mechanistic and constrained and don't actually equip the organizations to be able to embrace regenerative futures. And so it's our job to help create those small steps so people feel comfortable to start engaging in a different way through small projects that uh, create that emergence so people get comfortable to then take the slightly bigger steps and work across diverse ecosystems with multi-players. So that's really exciting how your business is starting to evolve and adapt in these challenging times. Is there anything you would like to now, if we pivot now more into Halligan itself as a culture, as an organization? Mm. I know, again, you have um, some quite interesting things that you do with inside the culture. Um, a lot has happened just over the last few years. We've had COVID, um, we've had all sorts of challenges, new world of working, people working from home more. How would you describe the culture with Inside Halligan and are there any particular things that you do to help keep it purposeful and, and alive? Yeah, uh, I think that the culture uh, in the company has always been very, you know, optimistic and opportunity driven. And I think that uh, if anybody would ask me 20 years ago that we would work with the, the things that we do today, I would probably not believe it. But, you know, as you as you mentioned, the last years we have, uh, we, we are still in the middle of a very serious climate crisis. We have the pandemic and we also have the war now. So we are on the edge of, you know, so many, you know, hard uh, possible consequences if we are not able to tackle them. And I think that I'm really proud when I, I see the culture in, in my company that people who work there, they really believe that they are able to do something about these problems, even though it can seem a little bit overwhelming from time to time. I think people feel that uh, when design in the old days was about coming in, doing your stuff, making things look great and work great. It's a totally different game today. Design is about leadership and it's about the continuous process of trying to make things better. And I think that designers, uh, at least the, the best ones, they are amazing when it comes to, you know, uh, describing a desired future. 
I think in the times to come uh, to keep our optimism is going to be crucial. And this is uh, not very hard in my company because it's beautiful people who are, you know, very positive and uh, very, uh, if you want, they are very yeah, opportunistic and uh, they are not willing to give up. And even though we can change only small steps at a time, I think people find that meaningful. Uh, so that's good. And uh, sometimes when we, you know, we have uh, decided to work with societal and safety critical problem solving, and it can be hard. And we, we can run into ethical uh, discussions internally. Is this really going to be good uh, for those uh, who's going to use the, the product or service? Uh, it really brings just another flavor to it, to be able to, to have philosophical and ethical discussions about why are we doing what we are doing? Is this going to have impact the way we want to? So, so I'm really proud that uh, this has just evolved over the years. It hasn't at all times been a conscious strategy from our side. It has, uh, uh, you know, come with the, the great, you know, challenges that we have been lucky enough to be able to work with. I think the, the feeling of responsibility has also grown uh, among the years. So no, I, I think that is uh, just in the beginning of seeing how companies like ours can can work transdisciplinary with other with others who believe that uh, these problems that we face is we are able to do something about it. And this is interesting. I mean, I can vouch um, having worked with Halligan um, in a number of different ways. You know that you have a, a group of you know really special people, um, very thoughtful, uh, very purposeful. And diverse, and I think diversity is important in these times. You know, not not to try and sort of uh, gain a culture of everybody sort of thinking and being the same, but actually all having their own sense of what's right for them, their own authenticity, yet sitting within a culture that has a strong sense of purpose. So, how do you go about helping marry that individual sense of purpose with that organisational sense of purpose? Because it's not like it has to fit; it's more like it has to work together, a bit like a, a marriage. So, it you you celebrate diversity whilst having that alignment. Are there any things that you, you do in the culture to help that kind of conversation? Yeah, I think that we try to celebrate the fact that uh, we are a true transdisciplinary agency. So we are trying to be curious about how we can not only, you know, combine different competences, but really, really challenge ourselves to, to go into other people's shoes and other people's glimpses. And we do that socially in, in the company, but we also try to do that in the projects. I have a marketing background, but I still feel like I'm a designer. I've been working with design for 22 years and I feel like I'm a design thinker. And I feel that design is only going to be you know, more meaningful if we are able to expand design, not make it smaller, but make it big, bigger. So design is a competence and a, a skill if you want that is going to to release other people's and other people's competences to be more brilliant so design is really an an opener and i think that we need to to understand that design is not going to take uh take work from other competences but we are going to work together with other competences and what i think uh, is going to be the crucial thing in the times to come is that we not we shouldn't be too you know negative about the, all the problems that we have we should be you know, seeking the uh, opportunistic and uh, positive way of believing that uh, everything that we stand in uh, in front of now is, is going to be able to be solved. 
because there are many good people and many good forces in, in the world. So, but uh, personally, I, I, I think from time to time, it's, it's a bit hard uh, when everything is so, you know, dramatic around us. It's about finding your uh, work-life uh, balance really also. And as I grow older and hopefully wiser as a leader, I understand that it's not about uh, all the hours that I put in, but it's the way I can, you know, refill my batteries in the forest, outside the office, going sometimes outside, trying to zoom in instead of being inside and try to solve everything at the same time. So how can we be patient and impatient at the same time? Yes, I like that. It is a balance, isn't it? I mean, I talk about this in in the book, this yin and yang, this you know, yin patience and this yang, this purposefulness. Now, I also know that you have in-house a, a philosopher that helps um, that people can talk to, to have discussions around how they feel about certain things and their own worldview. And you also have a counsellor um, where people can go and check and talk in about particular projects that they're getting involved with and check that they're comfortable, that it aligns with their own sense of purpose um, so they can move between projects. So all of that creates a really rich environment that is holding space for people to bring more of their authenticity to work. And I, 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 I feel, having known the company for some time, that a lot of that authenticity also comes from you and how you are you know, as the founder. Um, and so, you know, you, you mentioned there a little bit about going out into the woods. Um, obviously, you have beautiful woods in, in Norway, and I know that you love being out in nature. Could you talk a little bit about your own journey, how you feel you've developed over time, perhaps from a child to now? And is there anything that helps keep you alive? You know, when I was uh, a child, I grew up in a family with uh, some problems, and I became a very robust person at a young age. So. When I was um, in my 20s, I took my studies in Oslo. I lived uh, by myself in Oslo. I think I had like four or five jobs at the same time. Uh, I was very, you know, hyper. <laughs> and when I came to, to Hall again, uh, I was around 30 years old when I started uh, the company. I had already been a leader for years. Every job I have uh, had ever has been about being a leader. So I knew I was a leader and I knew I was a robust leader. So uh, I think that uh, my strengths are probably even more visible when there is the crisis and, and when things are hard. I'm not afraid uh, to have a challenge. And actually, I'm quite, you know, happy with uh, handling and tackling challenges as a leader. Maybe I'm a little bit more lazy if things go too well. And uh, yeah, as, as you, we all know, it hasn't been too much of that lately. So I've been keeping myself busy, uh, yeah, tackling everything. But I never thought when I uh, started this job that I, in my lifetime that I would feel this, you know, fear of the future. Uh, so this really gives uh, some sort of, you know, even a stronger purpose and a stronger reason for, for doing what we do to, to try at least to, to be active and try to do something about it. And not to, you know, give in for fear, but uh, continue to believe that everything is possible. Now, in terms of your own, therefore, your own reserves, you know, because as you say, business is doing a lot. Um, you're actively involved in all sorts of projects around the world um, that are helping make change happen. How do you keep your own reserves going? You know, because it can be a thankless task um, in the midst of everything that's going on. I try to enjoy life. Uh, I really enjoy good food, uh, wine. 
and uh, try to have uh, big dinners with my friends and family. I bought an old house in Italy that I'm going to refurbish. And I'm trying to learn Italian. It's really hard when you're an old uh, woman like me. <laughs> but it, I think that we need all kinds of, you know, impulses in order to be able to be a good uh, leader or uh, do, do well at your work. You need to make sure that you have something valid uh, when it comes to reserves and uh, inspiration. And yeah, so in my life, it's like it's about... Uh, cooking and dinners and running in the forest and yeah spending time with uh, the people that I love yes again yeah. I'm getting I'm getting diversity there you know diversity of inputs diversity of variety is what actually keeps you alive and again that relates to regeneration you're regenerating yourself by engaging in different activities so it's not all too like a monoculture it's all not too much work so just to finish would you have any little tips or or little offerings to anyone out there other leaders on this journey anything that you perhaps gained insight on um, you've mentioned a couple already around sort of patience and and purpose and and so forth but is there anything else that springs to mind that maybe might help other leaders on this journey yeah I, I think that uh, people need to be honest uh, about the situation many people that I know they have great jobs and great companies but still really feels like some many of these companies are still very you know profit driven and and rigged for another time so so i think people should be honest about the fact that we cannot continue doing what we have done we have to change our mindsets we have to change our strategies uh, and we shouldn't give up on that we should be be brave and and if your company is not uh, you know responding to that maybe you should find another place to work where you can have impact because I think we are in a time now where everything that we do we need to pay back, we need to pay back to the society and to, and to the nature. And if we, we don't do that, we don't deserve to, to, to stay in the business. So I think that people should be honest about that and, uh, but not be cynical because cynical and cynicism is much, much, you know, um, it's much easier to be that than positive. So I, I think that we should uh, be honest about what's going on around us and ask yourself, where can I go and how can I have more impact every day to make sure that I do everything I can uh, to make everything a little bit better every day. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think what I take from that is it's, 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 a, it's a purposeful, um, productive positivity is what you're speaking to. It's yeah. not just sort of being positive it's actually you know getting out there making courageous decisions you mentioned courage crossing the threshold leaving jobs if you need to um, saying no to certain projects if you need to and really stepping into creating the future for yourself and for society that we all know in our hearts is possible it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today thank you very much Lillian for being here with me yeah, thank you for having me for more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.